Do you have patients with fatty liver disease? It's been estimated that 30% of Americans have it, but most don't know it. Welcome to Nutrition Edge on ReachMD. I'm dietitian Kathy King, and my guest today is Kristen Kirkpatrick. She's the lead dietitian at Cleveland Clinic Wellness Institute and author of the book Skinny Liver. We are going to discuss fatty liver disease and patient nutrition and lifestyle therapies. Kristen, welcome to our program. Thank you, Kathy. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you today. We're hearing about fatty liver disease now. Is this something new? Could you explain that to us and how does it develop? Yeah, so, you know, it's, I don't think it's new. If you look really at the historical perspective of patients that would come into a physician's office and ultimately be diagnosed with liver cirrhosis, you know, I think many years ago, many of these diagnoses were cryptogenic. They really didn't know the origin. But now that we are really seeing so much more evidence and really have so much more of a grasp of this condition, we realize that there's a huge percentage of cirrhosis now that is stemming from non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So, I mean, let's just start with how you get it. So, as you know, it is normal to have some fat in the liver, but once we get more than, let's say, 5 to 10% of the weight of the liver being constituted of fat, then we have fatty liver disease. And obviously, we go into steps and stages in the condition where it starts with fatty infiltration. You'd go then get into some inflammation, some fibrosis, and then ultimately it could lead to cirrhosis, which would be irreversible at that point. So, you know, kind of a long explanation to that. I don't think this is something new. I think that this is completely paralleled with the obesity rates that we are seeing skyrocketing in the United States. Even though they are stalling slightly, they're, they're still high. And we have some states where it's a real huge concern. And it's a concern for the country. So I think we'll continue to see diagnosis of it. I think, of course, it is on the radar screen much more today. And so there's going to be more diagnosis from that standpoint. But we're seeing it because we are an overweight and obese nation. What are the long-term effects and how is it diagnosed? So with a diagnosis, sometimes it will start with simply, let's say, getting some blood work at your annual exam and realizing that you've got some elevated liver enzymes. So ALT, AST are, are pretty traditional liver enzymes that might be included in a complete metabolic panel. That might be the first indicator. And so the physician might say, okay, well, you've got these elevated liver enzymes and no, oh, by the way, you also have an elevated hemoglobin A1C or your glucose is elevated and you also happen to have a BMI over 30. So this kind of would be kind of the algorithm that a physician may start with. From there, there most physicians that I've worked with here would then go ahead and order a biopsy or a ultrasound. I think ultrasound obviously is going to be the most common test that's going to be done simply because a biopsy is, is very invasive. The majority of the patients that are coming to see me are diagnosed through ultrasound ultimately. Some of them, I would say about 25%, simply have these elevated liver enzymes that are indicating that something is off with the liver and they're told to come and see a dietitian for weight loss. So they might not even get to that ultrasound step. Do they have symptoms when this is all happening? Well, that's the problem with this condition is that it really is truly asymptomatic in the early stages. It's really some of the symptoms that, that I have seen in my research and human studies have been things like fatigue. Sometimes we would see like a little bit of pain, like in the abdomen area where the liver is located. Not as common though. It's typically fatigue and, and 
what I always say to my patients is who, who is not fatigued most of these days? And, and fatigue can be attributed to so many different factors. So in the early stages, there really are no symptoms, which is really, Kathy, what makes this such a scary condition because if you don't go see your doctor, if it's not something normal for you to get regular medical checkups with anyone, you may have it for years and years and years, not know it, and then really only see the symptoms once it progresses to the more deadly and, and, and more irreversible forms of the condition. What are some of the risk factors and red flags when a person has non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and can they be reversed? At what stage are they not reversible? Risk factors are, you know, if we break it down, I would say the most common risk factors are going to be obesity and then elevated insulin levels. So looking at individuals that might have type 2 diabetes, obesity and obviously elevated insulin levels are very much hand in hand. Of course, I have patients that don't manifest with elevated insulin levels and there's clearly something very genetic going on there. For the majority of my overweight or obese or definitely morbidly obese patients, it is paralleled with elevated insulin levels. And so that is a big red flag simply because when you have that, those elevated insulin levels, they inhibit the breakdown of fat in the cells throughout the body. And that then really prompts the liver to take up new fatty acids from the excess blood sugar, right? So the liver now has this abundance of fatty acids. It doesn't know what to do with it. There's no job for it. And so that's a big red flag that obviously our physicians here would look for. There are a few genetic factors, of course. So there's certain ethnic populations that seem more prone to the condition. We don't see those as much. Typically, it's going to be overweight and obesity. What is not really a red flag is looking at, do you have a few drinks every once in a while? And obviously, as physicians, that's, that's, that's obvious. But many of my patients come in and say, I don't drink anything. Why is this happening to me? So really, this education for the patient on these red flags and risk factors that this is non-alcoholic fatty deliver, liver disease, not alcoholic fatty liver disease. So I would think those, those are the big ones. If, if you're overweight, obese, and have elevated blood sugar levels, there's a very large percentage of those patients also are going to present with fatty liver. You're listening to Nutrition Edge on ReachMD. I'm Kathy King, and I'm speaking with nutritionist and lead dietitian at the Cleveland Clinic Wellness Institute, Kristen Kirkpatrick, and we're exploring the epidemic of fatty liver disease. Kristen, are there human studies that show the prevalence of fatty liver in different age groups or demographics? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really, Kathy, where, oh my gosh, I think it's just really scary. So right now, the estimates, if you look at some of the data that's out there, is about 30% of the U.S. population currently has fatty liver disease. And that includes more than 6 million children. So that's really, really scary when you look at that and you look at the rise of obesity in kids and fatty liver disease. Of the 30% of the U.S. population, we have data that approximates about 6 million of those individuals have the latter parts of the diseases that are not reversible. Non-alcoholic steatohepatitis is what we call that. And then about 10% of them are also presenting with cirrhosis. And so, you know, we're talking about a huge chunk of the population that, again, if you look at our obesity rates, are really paralleled with that. That 30% is really in line with obesity rates, type 2 diabetes rates, etc. But that's a lot of people. And, you know, those estimates are really probably about a year old. So it'll be interesting once we see some data from the NIH come out soon. Are we going to see an increase in that? Will, will it go down? 
My assumption is it will stay the same or we will see increases because of increased diagnosis of the condition. That's scary, isn't it? <laughs> to have have that out there and and have very few people actually talking about it. It's uh, nice that you've created that book so that more people are at least aware of this problem. What are your nutrition and lifestyle guidelines uh, for helping patients avoid or reverse the fatty liver disease? Well, I, I'll say as someone who knows a lot about nutrition, Kathy, you know that many of the patients that probably come to you and definitely to me are very confused. There's a million diets out there. There's a million different websites with bad information, and there's no one-size-fits-all. So when I think about my dietary guidelines, I really start very high level, and I encourage my patients to, number one, start eating food. I define food the same way Michael Pollan does. I stole his definition. I use it all the time because he just made such a great point of it. And food is something that comes from nature, is fed from nature, and will eventually rot. So that's where I start with my patients. Let's, let's take away all of the, the clutter and all of the noise that surrounds nutrition today, and let's focus on food. This is going to be the top priority. So looking at what they're having for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, et cetera, and is it defined as food or is it defined as manufactured calories, junk food? right? So that's kind of the first step that I take. The second is really looking at the quality of color in their diet. So how many fruits and vegetables are you getting? What kind of grains are you getting? Are they completely white and bland or are they going to be brown and whole grain and dark? So color is a big thing that I focus on with my patients as well. And then really, once we get through those two aspects, a true cleaning up of the diet. So okay, let's look at all of our macros. Let's look at our complex carbohydrates and what sources are you getting from there. And let's especially look at our simple carbohydrates. Are you drinking soda? Are you having juice? Are you eating candy? Things like that. And I'm really just working to cut that out of the diet. That Those are hard things to do. Those are very hard habits to break. But we really have to get back to more of a Mediterranean-style approach. In a lot of cases with my patients, a lower-carbohydrate style works for them as well. But starting with that overall really high-level definition of let's start eating food and then let's start listening to our hunger as well and not overfueling because that's what Americans do. We overfuel. We eat much more than what we need. And so that's another problem. This isn't then associated with eating more fat or more fructose. You hear that in the news sometimes. This isn't any one food? No, no, no. I, I, I'm agreeing with you. You're, you're right. I think the fructose thing is really interesting because there were some early studies that really kind of pointed the finger at, at fructose here. The liver is the only and the only organ in the body that can actually metabolize and break down fructose. So it's actually a very special is not the right word. Special makes it sound good, and it's not. Um, but it's the kind of the only special sugar out there that has a direct contact with the liver in order to be metabolized. So there's been a bit of conflicting studies there where some studies have come out saying fructose is really to blame because of this increase of fatty acid uptake that needs to occur with fructose metabolism. And other studies have said that, you know, it's not really just fructose. It's all sugars. It's, it's anything that's going to elevate blood sugar. To your point about fat, Kathy, yeah, less of an association there. So really haven't seen the connection of fat in the diet and the occurrence of development of fatty liver disease. In a lot of ways, I think we still have a lot of questions where this stems from. We have great ideas. We have great data, but we need more data. 
I can see that because you hear a, a little bit here and there and you're not sure you know, where to go with what you're hearing. In conclusion, Kristen, could you summarize three to four points that you want us to remember about hopefully reversing or avoiding fatty liver disease in the first place? Yeah, so I think the first point is, number one, to see your doctor. If you look at individuals that perhaps have fatty liver disease, but don't know it. That's a huge chunk, I think, of the population. So that's kind of the first thing. I mean, if you look at the huge prevalence, it's estimated that probably 80% or more of type 2 diabetics that are obese also have fatty liver disease. So find out, right? That's that's kind of the first thing I would say is is to find out because knowledge is power and perhaps knowledge can motivate you to make changes. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is to really focus first on nutrition. Not to downgrade exercise and not to say that exercise isn't important. Nutrition, exercise, and stress management, as we know, are keys to weight loss and and epigenetic changes. But nutrition from the research is very strong in being one of the biggest predictors in helping with weight loss and, and helping with really reversing this condition. It is reversible. For a very long time, it does develop in in a certain percentage of the population to an irreversible form, but you got some time to take care of that before that occurs. So my third point, Kathy, would be in addition to going to see your doctor, to see your dietitian. So the reason I wrote Skinny Liver was mainly because I had so many patients coming to me and saying, I just don't know what to do with this because there's no guide. I can't find a guide out there. And I wanted to provide the guide that was evidence-based and that provided steps and goals that were easy to attain and also sustainable. So uh, again, as you know, changing habits is really difficult, but really working with a team of professionals to do that and getting support from your friends and family is really going to be key in in making some of these changes and keeping those changes long-term. Those are good points to remember for fatty liver disease as well as many others. Kristen, thank you for bringing us your nutrition insight. Thank you. Our guest has been dietitian and author Kristen Kirkpatrick. We've been discussing fatty liver disease. I'm Kathy King, registered dietitian, and you've been listening to Nutrition Edge on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com featuring podcasts of this and other series. Thank you for listening.